0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church Podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. If this teaching leaves you with a question about the content or a story of what God is doing in your life, please send a message to hello at church because we'd love to hear from you. Well, good morning. How many of you happen to remember the original I Love Lucy show? Now, I know that most of you are too young to have actually seen the original series, but you probably watched a rerun or two, right? One of my favorite episodes is when Lucy and her best friend, Ethel, I believe it is, they decided to bake some bread. Unfortunately, they kind of miscalculated how much flour they would need, and how much yeast they would need. As this clip shows, it resulted in some amazing yet terrifying results. Classic humor for a Sunday morning. That's great. As we see from the video, a little bit too much yeast, a little bit too much flour can yield some terrifying results. But as we find today, we find out today, as we continue looking at the parables, we find that... A, a, a tiny seed and even a, a little bit of yeast that's properly, a seed that's properly planted, a, a yeast that's probably, properly mixed in a dough, can yield some amazing results in the kingdom of God. Again, we're continuing this series called The Kingdom of Heaven, or The Kingdom of God is Like, and what we're saying is this is explaining the kingdom of heaven with the little stuff of the earth. As a quick reminder, at the beginning of the series, we talked about when Jesus taught, gave the, the gospel message, what he would call the good news. You know, he talked a lot about the kingdom. He didn't just simply say that, you know, your sins are forgiven. He said the kingdom of God is near. In his mind, that was the good news. Not that your sins are simply forgiven and that you're going to go to heaven when you die. That is good news. That's great news. But the better news is he says that, you know, that, that part of that kingdom can be brought into this realm even today. That yes, kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God has a future aspect, but it also has a present aspect, the benefits going to accrue to this life that we begin to experience right now. And so Jesus is saying he's opening a door to that life. He's opening a door to that kingdom life again today. And and that's a, those are difficult concepts to get our hand around, this idea of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It really is. And it, and as difficult today. It was difficult back then. And so what Jesus would do, it basically he would... He would use things. He'd use the common, everyday, ordinary things uh, that the people were used to, things like weeds and seeds and pearls and treasures and fishing nets. He would use those type of elements to open the people's eyes up to the reality of the kingdom. And he would do that by telling stories, also known as parables. Parables are just little stories. Some people say they're little stories, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And that's really what they are. But really what they are is basically taking spiritual truths... And put them in the context of a story that the people would be familiar with, and those are called the parables, again, a casting aside or casting a truth, a spiritual truth, next to a common everyday story that people could relate to now we 've been looking, studying the kingdom parables that are found. Uh, mostly, a lot of them are found in Matthew chapter 13. We are looking at about seven of them. Now, last week, Austin shared the parable about the farmer went out and, and sowed some seeds around the field in different places. And, and we know that the seed landed on different types of soil, you know, different types of soil. And we realize is that that soil in this particular parable was repre- meant to represent kind of the, the condition of our heart, which was really about the receptivity to the, to the good news of Jesus Christ. And some were very receptive, and some were not receptive at all. And anyway, but you want to listen to that sermon? It's on our. We have a we have a a a podcast, Bellevue Christian, that you can listen to. You can go on our website and listen to it also. Anyway, today we're going to look at two two parables that are kind of kind of similar, at least on the surface. A parable about a mustard seed and a parable about yeast. Let's look at the one about the mustard seed first. Reading from Matthew 13, starting verse 31. He, being Jesus, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Again, a very simple, straightforward parable. Now, some people, if you've been around a church any long time or been a Christian for a while, you know that sometimes when you're reading this parable in a group or something like that, there's somebody who's like a very accurate, you know, like a a scientific intellectual mind. And they say, well, Jesus is getting it wrong here. This is really the, the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed. There's actually smaller seeds out there now. I'm not a botanist by no means. I did take a botany class at college, and the only thing I learned was how to make champagne. By the end of it, I don't know the connection there, but I, I did remember about the. Never mind. I don't go there. But it was a. That was my one exposure to to botany, and Jesus wasn't really intending to be a botanist here. He's not intended to give a botany lesson. What he's intended to do is he's going to give a spiritual truth. And so he's saying the smallest seed, but he's saying a seed that probably the people around him would be familiar with. There's actually a smaller seed, I guess it's called a black orchard seed, which probably the people wouldn't even have known about. But they knew about mustard seeds. And so they were familiar with it because they would plant the mustard seeds in their gardens. And actually the mustard seed was a seed that many of the other rabbis, the other teachers around, would use when they're trying to look for something that would signify a smallness, tininess. And the mustard seed was small. I mean, again, I don't know a lot about seeds, but apparently there's 750 mustard seeds to make up a gram. And I guess a gram is like 1 28th of an ounce. So do the math on that. So it's a fucking small. But again, the point being is it's little bitty, bitty, bitty seed grew up to be this huge tree or at least a, a tree-like plant because actually the mustard tree is more of a shrub, I guess, that would come in a garden. But it grew up so large that the birds were able to kind of perch in it. And it's another side note is that sometimes, I don't think we've talked about it too much, is that sometimes people confuse a parable with an allegory. You know, an allegory basically assigns meaning to every single item in the story. And in this case, it would include the birds. And people start speculating, well, who are the birds in the story? You know, maybe Jesus is speculating that one day the kingdom is going to be so big and, and then we're going to have all these, uh, these unbelievers are going to come and, and nest in it. it. It may be true, but, you know, it's... It's speculation. It's fun to speculate. But the best thing when you're reading a parable, just take it at face value. Just take it at face value, what it's trying to say. And really, in this parable, it's quite simple, that the kingdom of heaven has small beginnings, like a seed, but will grow in great size. That's the straightforward you know, look at this particular parable, the straightforward meaning. Again, the kingdom of heaven has small beginnings, like a seed, but will grow in great size. So that's the first parable. Now, the second parable is a little bit more complex because it talks about the, the idea of yeast. He told him still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. That's the parable. Anybody make bread out here? Anybody ever try to make bread? A few people? Yeah, and you know, you know bread, You know, if you've, you've made it by hand like Lucy and Ethel tried to do, or you've used the machine, but what are the ingredients? You've got to put flour and water, and what else do you put in there? Yeast. you got to put some sort of a leavening agent. Leavening agent, leaven is basically described as, uh, excuse me, leaven is a substance, typically yeast, that is used in dough to make it rise. And so if you want to have bread, you have to have some sort of leavening agent, and the most common leavening agent is yeast. If you don't have yeast, if you don't have a leavening agent, what you have is flat bread, basically. And so you needed that. But that's the, so adding yeast is what's called the direct method of adding the leaven to the bread. Anybody know about an indirect method? Say that again. Sourdough, Sourdough, what else do they call that? They call that dough. They call it a starter dough or mother dough. Anybody heard the term mother dough? Mother dough is basically mean you have dough that's already been fermented. could just be a little lump that maybe you're keeping in your refrigerator or whatever. And you take that dough and you just mix it into the new dough. And so you don't have to go out and buy more yeast. You're just taking that dough and putting the old dough and putting it into the new dough and then mixing it up. And then you keep making, you can make several loaves of bread from that one piece of dough that's sitting in your refrigerator. And if you take a new piece of dough If you take another piece of dough off that new dough that you just made and save that, you can go on and on and on and on, and I think some people have even tried that. I even read when I was doing my research, I read that there's a bakery in San Francisco called Boudin's, I think, Boudin's Bakery, and they have been using the same mother dough for 160 years. All their bread comes from the same mother dough. 160 years, thousands and thousands of loaves of bread. And so anyway, going back to this parable. I think this parable is not talking about using like fleshman's yeast or whatever. He's talking about mother dough. And again, looking at this, it says, He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. So she was basically using mother dough to make sure that she would have enough bread to feed her family for a long time. But really, if we examine this passage a little bit closer, she really had enough to feed an army. Because when it says a large amount of dough, the underlying word, or another translation, is bushel. A bushel of flour. And again, I don't know all the measurements, but I guess a bushel is apparently equivalent to about 42 pounds of flour. 42 pounds of flour, that can that's make a lot of bread. A lot of loaves, or like Lucy's all, one big loaf possibly, right? And so that's, that's the story of the parable of the yeast. You know, what do we do with this story? Now, some would say that, well, this is a parable that's just like the first one. It's just a parable of growth. And Jesus is just saying, you know, I, I got several things. I'm just going to make sure you get it. So I'm going to tell you the story about the mustard mustard seed, and I'm going to tell you about the, the the yeast. And basically the conclusion is that you know, small things result in big beginning, or big size, or whatever you want to call it. But I think that Jesus had a little bit more in mind, especially when you consider, again, It look a little deeper into the parable, not read into it, but just understand the parable. Keep in mind, when you think about the seed, the man planted the seed. The seed grew. The woman took yeast, and the yeast, and mixed it in. The yeast didn't grow, The dough grew. was the one thing that grew. What did the yeast do? The yeast was the activating agent. The yeast was the influential agent on the dough. Where the seed grew, the yeast, again, influenced. And that makes especially sense when you consider the second definition of leaven. It means a pervasive influence that modifies something or transforms it for the better. That's right out of the dictionary. Second definition. And so again, using that definition, you could say that in this parable, what it means is that the kingdom of heaven will have small beginnings like yeast, but will have great influence. And so you take both of these together, and Jesus is giving very two very good characteristics of the kingdom, which basically goes on to say the kingdom of heaven will have Small beginnings, like seeds and yeast, but will grow in great size and influence. Again, talking about growth, but talking a little bit of a different way. And so, you know, this is a very good short description of what the char- what would characterize the kingdom of God. And that's all well and good, but that's you're thinking something out there, something far out there. You know, this is a this characterizes something that I'm not even part of. But the reality is what's good for the kingdom, what characterizes the kingdom, also characterizes or should characterize the people who lives in the kingdom. The people who live in the kingdom. In other words, the people who live within the will of God. Again, a refresher to go back when we talk about this idea of kingdom. For those of you who weren't here, we talked about a kingdom is not so much a place as again, it's kind of a it's a domain that you what you want done is done. You know, again, we talked about a house, a country. You know, uh, you know, a city, whatever, it's, it's your kingdom is where what you want done gets done. That's your kingdom, not so much as a physical locale, but again, kind of a domain area. And so we have our own kingdoms. God had a kingdom too, and his kingdom is where his will is done. And you should know that if you know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Will and kingdom is used interchangeably. So if you're living in the will of God, you're living in the kingdom of God. You get that? That's important to get that. So, going back to the idea that if these are two characteristics of the kingdom, again, this, that, that, that comes to the individual living within that kingdom, it begins to impact those lives in the kingdom. And the greatest evidence of that is Jesus himself. Right? If there's anybody was living in the will of God, it was Jesus Christ all the way up to the end. So much so that when it was the Garden of Gethsemane, remember he was praying, Lord, take this cup away from me. Take this, the thing I have to deal with away from me. And then finally he says, you know, not my will, but your will be done. God's, uh, Jesus' ultimate aim was to live in God's kingdom, live under his will his entire life from birth to death. And he did it. And he had small beginnings. How small can you get that a little bitty baby, a tiny baby, an infant living in a born in a manger that had very little minimal chance of survive? Surviving, not only surviving, but without social media, without Facebook, without Instagram, without Twitter, without any form of platform, not only survived, but became the most ever most influential person who ever lived in history, so much so that we did our calendars by him. Again. A little small beginnings yielding great influence, but thinking again, you know, even about size. You know, he he mentored, he recruited, he talked to these disciples. He he, he grouped, uh, gathered these ragtag group of disciples. They got filled with the spirit of God. They went out and planted these little churches that met in homes. And before we know it, those churches began to multiply and multiply and multiply, till until today we have over three billion people that would identify themselves. As Christians, size, ministry size, and also influence. Christianity has influenced every segment of society. The business world, obviously home life, the church, the schools, the, 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 the entertainment industry, you know, the uh, art, all these type of influences, all these segments of society have been influenced by Christianity. Again, starting with somebody who was living within the will of God. Now, the good news is that, again, what is good for Jesus is also good for us. Right? This is not something reserved for Jesus or some of these superstars of faith that we've seen around that, boy, they got impact. Their ministry size has been great. They got really. No, it wasn't reserved for them. It's reserved for anybody who is living in the will of God. And really, fortunately, we don't even really have to make that choice, cho- choice. The only choice we have to make to live in the will of God, or initially, is to basically receive Lord, Christ as Lord, be baptized, and at that point, we are placed within the kingdom, within the domain of God. It's from that point forward, we have to continue to, to live according to that will. But when we are saved, we are put, placed into the kingdom of God, into the will of God. How would I know? Again, by, by a passage that speaks to this, Colossians one thirteen, For he has rescued you, us, from the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, into the will of God. You're in. You know, so that means that we've also been given the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of Christ, also called the Holy Spirit, so that you can live effectively and powerfully and live out your potential within the kingdom realm. And some of you say, well, that's cool, Chuck, but I just, man, I'm just, I know I'm not living out my potential. In fact, I think if I was to ask a question and, you know, if I was to say, how many of you raise your hand if you think, if you believe you're living out your God-ordained potential? I don't think anybody, except maybe a few prideful people, might raise their hand, right? They wouldn't, because you know inherently there's so much more that God has in store for us, right? In fact, another passage that speaks to this is 1 Corinthians 2.19. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, but God has prepared for those who love Him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, but God has prepared for those who love Him. Do you love God? That means that you got some potential out there which I think what I can make a statement that is true, that it is impossible to maximize your ministry size and influence, your potential in the kingdom of heaven. It is impossible for anyone to maximize your ministry size and your influence, in other words, your potential in the kingdom of heaven. And you say, well, if that's the case, why aren't I doing it? What's going on here? That's the $50 million question that I'm not sure I can answer. I have enough time to answer. But I can give you an idea by using a little bitty formula that has actually application in the secular world and the spiritual world. So if you'd like to take notes, write this formula down because it can change your life. I use it a lot when I do coaching of people. It's a simple formula. P equals P minus I. Now, you don't have to be a math major to understand what this means. It's very, very simple. I'll break it down for you. The little p on the left, that's for performance. Now, performance, when I say performance, I mean how well you do in all arenas, or many arenas of life. It could be how do you perform as a musician? How do you perform in your business? How do you perform in sports when you're playing golf or tennis or those type of things? How do you perform in your school? How do you perform in your home life, in your marriage any area of performance. Now, that's how we perform, but we all have a potential to perform very well. That's the big P. P is your potential. So many of us are bursting with potential. So many of us has the potential to be a great athlete, to be a great musician, to be a great business person, to be a great parent. We have the potential so many of us have. We don't have the same potential, the same area, but we've all been wired with phenomenal potential that God has given each of us. And in a perfect world, I would say a world without sin, shouldn't performance equal potential? Why Why, doesn't an equal, why aren't us two equal? Why aren't you living up to your potential? Why is your performance sub-bar, subpar? The answer is found in the, in the third part of the equation. It's the I. The I is called interference. So the formula is your performance equals your potential minus the stuff that gets in the way. Again, if there was nothing in the way, it would be equal. So what's in the way? And that, again, can, we could spend hours on. But basically, to summarize, it's, it's the stuff of life. You know, it's the stuff that comes our way, that blocks our true potential. Now, for some of us, it's the external things in life. You know, life happens. You know, you're on the way to a great interview, a job interview. And what happens? The car breaks down and you're late and you don't get the job. Something like that. Or there's a sickness in your family or a death or something that, that, that affects or a divorce. It kind of sidetracks you for a moment. Those are the external things. Sometimes you have control over sometimes you don't. A perfect, an easy way to think about this is uh, uh, Tiger Woods. Okay, Everybody know generally who Tiger Woods is, right? He was, number, he was supposed to be at one time considered the greatest golfer in the world, or at least to be the greatest golfer in the world. Then life happened. About 2009, he decided, you know, he was going to do a little extramarital affair on his wife. Not with one, but several women. And his wife found out, and next thing you know, she's chasing him down the street with a nine iron, right? I think you remember some of that from the news, right? That was, a, that was an external, that was an interference. At least for two years, that kind of slowed his career down a little bit. Then on top of that, what happened is he, got, he had some back injuries. He had a lot of health problems. So he had all this stuff, the external stuff going on, that had sidetracked his potential. So much so that by, at, I think at one point he was like fifth, uh, rated like 58th of all the golfers. No longer number one, but dropped to 58th. And at some point he didn't even make the standings. So this external stuff interfered with his potential But it's not just the external; it's the internal. You see, there's two games going on often, for an athlete or anybody. You've got the game that's going on in the golf course or in the field or in the tennis court or whatever else, and you got the other game going on your head. And if you've ever been an athlete, you know that you got those two games. And the stuff that messed him up was not just the external stuff going on the field. He knew how to play golf. But the game that was messing with him was the stuff going on in his head. And we don't know what was going on in his head. But I imagine he's thinking to himself, I'm a bad dad. I disappointed my wife. I did all this stuff. I'm a terrible person. What is the, what is the media thinking of me now? And then he got the, back, the, the body injuries and everything else. And those could have even been related to the mind. And all this stuff is going around in his head. Again, so much so that he's down to 58th in rankings. His performance is way away from his potential. But some point, and in fact, I think this year or through this last few years, he began to get some of that potential back or some of that performance back to the point where he just won the Masters, what, 2000, just this, this year. Eleven years, I think, between major tournaments. Eleven years of interference. And again, what's good for, in the secular realm, or what applies in a secular realm, also applies in a spiritual realm. We all have within us a seed, a mustard seed. We all have inside of us a a lump of dough, so to speak. We all have the potential for a, a great size, a great ministry, or a great influence, or a combination of both. But what gets in the way? What's the interference? Again, in many things, it could be, again, external things, that we could say, well, again, I got divorced, that sidetracked me. I got busy at work, and so I don't go to church anymore. Or I just, you know, I, I had a bad experience at church, so I don't, I don't think I want to be at that church, even though I don't want to go to any other church at this time. I just don't feel like doing that. Or I'm just a little bit lazy. Or whatever it is, I, 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 those are external things. I'm too tired. Those are all external things. But again, there's two games going on. There's that, that game that's going on around here, the external, but there's a game going on in your head. And I would say it's a battle, the battlefield of the mind, basically, people refer to. It's a battle between the old self and the new self. When we were saved, we were supposed to take off the old self and put on a new. Some of you have never taken off the old self. And so that old self is in that brain there, constantly faithful and remembering, reminding you of of your failures. You're never gonna be a good Christian, you're never gonna succeed, you can't do ministry, you're too old, you're too young. You're a sinner. You're not smart enough. You're not faithful enough. And it's plain. Anybody hear those tapes? I hear them. And at the, but you got the other side in you, the cheer, what I would call the cheerleader side. You can do it. You're a child of God. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Just do it. You can do this. And so you've got this battle going on there that keeps you from reaching your God-designed Potential size and influence. But the good news is that it doesn't take a lot you know, to be able to, to begin to step out away from that interference and step towards that potential. It just basically stay, takes faith. In fact, Jesus talks about a mustard seed in another passage where he says, that, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Is that just a nice saying? Or do you think he's speaking some sort of truth? Again, going back to that idea that nothing is impossible for you. You cannot maximize your potential in the kingdom of God. You should never be satisfied where you're at. Because we're all woefully short of our potential. Just think, what would the potential look like for you if you were living out your God divine uh, potential in the home, in the workplace, in your school, What would that potential, if you had maximized your potential, what would that look like? Again, God, no mind has seen, no ear has heard, no no eye has seen, no mind has conceived what is possible there, for those who love him. But the key is getting that interference, that self-talk out of the way. How do you do that? Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of time to go over that, but i give you a quick idea, the same way Tiger Woods probably got over it, discipline. I guarantee you that he was disciplined on the golf course. He was going through mind stuff. He was going through whatever he had to do to get his mind back to right thinking and getting out of stinking thinking. It's the same thing for Christians. And we have these things called spiritual disciplines. Not just to do those things so you can get merit badges from God. God gave you the spiritual disciplines for you because you need it. Because our mind gets full of, I use the word crap, but Debbie gets mad when I use that. It gets full of stuff that blocks us from receiving. So the spiritual disciplines frees that up. The perfect example is yesterday. Some of you know, some of you don't know. Uh, Carrie, she cleansed the door for her. She got this idea. She loves the spiritual disciplines. And she loves the idea of silence as a discipline and service. She also knew that the back, springtime in the springtime, the back lot there where the prayer garden is was full of weeds. So it was a simple idea get a group of people together have them meet together and work for 2 hours pulling weeds in silence two disciplines that not only got the prayer garden empty the weeds but hopefully got their mind a little bit less a little bit free of interference of junk and i know that some of you probably struggle with the silence part You can't stop talking because your mind has never stopped talking. And you get terrified when you sit still for too long and all of a sudden your mind is going and going and going. That's the value. That's why most spiritual discipline books, the first discipline is silence. Because if you can't experience silence, you're probably not going to be very good at praying. You're not going to be very good at worshiping. You're probably not going to be very good at Bible study because you got all we used to call the thought monkeys jumping around in your head. Anyway, that's that's how we would get through interference. But it was for an individual. But once again, what applies to the individual also applies to the church. That whole formula, again, applies to the church. There was a some of you know we're working with a guy named uh, Jay Passivan, who's our consultant during Debbie and I as we our transition process out. And I remember, I know, it was last month or whatever, Jay was meeting with a church council, about 24 people. And towards the end, he asked a pretty good question that nobody raised their hand. He said, do you think BCC has reached its true potential? Nobody raised their hand. And then he said, Yo, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, we're there. We've arrived. They didn't. Because they, we know, again, no eye has seen, no ear is heard, no, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love Him. We know there's so much more, but again, the question is, why aren't we moving, why aren't we going towards it, or why aren't we there yet? What's, what's happening? And again, it goes back to that simple formula. Interference. We can, Again, we got the external interference, the excuses, I would say. Our church isn't big enough. We only, we're a small building. We don't have enough members. We don't have enough People. We don't have enough volunteers, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough space. Those are all external excuses for not reaching our potential. But again, going back to the mind stuff, it's a collective interference in the mind. Basically saying is, you know what, I, I, I like the idea of growing, but I really don't like the idea of Change. I, I, you know, I'm used to tradition. This is what I like. I don't, I don't want big people because if I, if I change that, that means I have to sit next to somebody that I don't like, maybe somebody from a, a different ethnicity, a different color of their skin, a different political affiliation. If we get too big, we've got to sit next to the, it gets messy real quick. And I don't want any of that. I just like the way things are. But that doesn't seem like good strategy in the kingdom of God based on these parables, does it? It really doesn't. And really what it boils down to is fear. It's fear. It's not faith. It's fear. All this stuff is just fear. That's what's going on in the brain. And I realized just as I was writing a sermon, this church is 120, I don't know how many hundred and thirty years old. My goodness, we are we are stuck. We are stifled. Why do some churches and I'm just doing I'm not saying we have like a North Bay or all these different churches. Why can they have 12,000 people? Is it because they're in a better location? Or is it just that maybe they broke out of a mindset? They started in, in Jay's house in the 80s. 81, I think it was. We've been here since 1896. What's the problem here? Again, we can make all the excuses we want. But the bottom line is we are not living out our God design potential in way of size or influence. But having said that, I still, again, I want to celebrate that we have, we, we have glimpses of what that might look like. Perfect example is this last couple of weeks, we've been collecting uh, the canned food and the food for Backpack Buddies, and I think the goal was 3,000, uh, 3,600 cans or something like that. A great goal, and I won't rain on it Austin's thunder, and he'll tell you what the final amount is. But it was a good goal, and, you know, we did a pretty good job. We saw the canned food out there. It was wonderful, you know. And so to average about... We needed about 100 families to bring in, like, 30 items to reach our goal. That's nice. Very nice goal, and very impressive, and very influential in the community, right? Well, let's, but let's up the ante a little bit. Instead of 100 people bringing in 30 cans of food... Why don't just 100 people just bring in three, three people over the next year? Three people. I'm not talking about three trans. I'm talking about three non-Christians just inviting them to church. You don't even have to share Jesus. Leave that up to us. What would that look like if three people, 100 people invited three people and even only half stayed? When I stayed, they were baptized, they were immersed, they were believed, they became membership, they began to realize their gifts, and they began to utilize their potential. What impact would that have? Three people versus 30 cans. it would have amazing. But in order to do that, we have to push aside the mental interference. Work on, yes, the external stuff too, but I think the biggest obstacle is the mental interference of fear. And again, like Jesus says, you know, if you just have, you know what, faith of, a, um, faith of a mustard seed, I think I'm losing my sight here. If you just have faith of a, a mustard seed, you can do amazing thing. And again, that faith is, again, saying that we have faith, not necessarily in our potential, our performance, but that God has given us that phenomenal potential as human beings and having been placed inside the kingdom of God. We have everything we need. Everything. And so as you know, you know, Debbie and I, we might not be around in, a, in the next couple years or so. Again, because we're transitioning out of leadership, we'll probably stay here. But we don't, we don't know what, what it is. But I think we believe that, man, this church is nowhere reached its potential. That we are just starting again, to reach our potential. That we have what's needed. We have that mustard seed of faith. We have that lump of starter dough that will allow us to grow in size and influence, not only in Bellevue, but in Pittsburgh and beyond. Again, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Let us pray. God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for your word. I think of these two simple parables that are so telling and powerful. Lord, again, I, I pray that I was faithful in the interpretation of them, but I just think, again, I see nothing in the two, but, but there's, there's a big size and big influence, not only in the kingdom of God, but all who live within it, within the will of God. So Lord, I pray that even today that we would begin to open our eyes to the realities of the kingdom starting with the realities of our own potential, that we would push aside any interference, any external interference that's blocking the way, that again, we would be able to continue to move towards our God-given potential, all the while knowing we'll never maximize it. That in the kingdom of God, there is unlimited potential for us individually and as a body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If that teaching moved you or left you with questions, let us know by sending a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.